Hello again, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us for another installment of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. Throughout this season, we've been sitting down with all-time great members of the Cleveland Browns, some current members of the football team, but this edition is very special. Not just another all-time great Cleveland Brown, the all-time great Cleveland Brown, and the man many say is the all-time greatest football player ever to play the game, Mr. Jim Brown. Jim, great to see you. Thanks for taking time with us. Thank you. When you were young, watching football, did you pattern your style after anyone, or did you just create your own path? No, I created my own path because, uh, and I say this, it sounds like uh, I'm a very arrogant person. Uh, I was creative, and I utilized what God gave me. My physical stature was 232. I was 6'2", and I was fast, and uh, I could use that. And I was football intelligent, so I knew how to use what God gave me. Let's go back to your early days as a young guy growing up in Georgia. What was life like for a young Jim Brown? Boy, I tell you, great-grandmother. I basically had no father. He was gone. My mother was too young. It was my great-grandmother and myself. She raised you? Basically the first eight or nine years. Wow. And uh, it was beautiful, Noah Peterson. And uh, St. Simon's Island, Georgia, a beautiful, beautiful island. And we had a home there. I still have that home. I still own that home. The home you grew up in? Yeah. Really? Yep, still have it. And What does uh, that mean to you? It gives me a great feeling of foundation. You know, that was my family. That was where I was created. I wasn't a football player. I was just a little boy. And uh, greatly appreciative of my great-grandmother and the people that I knew down there. Yeah. And the people that took and guided me so that I stayed in school and I did the right things to be able to be sitting here with you today. Was that a credit to your great-grandmother that you, that Absolutely. you did the right things? Absolutely, because she was something else. Nathaniel. <laughs> <laughs> My middle name is Nathaniel. And that Nathaniel, used to, she was calling me. I was running around. That's how she'd call you home. Yeah. yeah. Fond memories of, a, of being a, a young boy in Georgia? Absolutely. Uh, I came up during the era of segregation and so forth and so on. But there were great people that I was fortunate enough to come in contact with. The Brockmans, a Jewish family that uh, really kind of adopted me. And I had great training early from people that were just citizens. Uh, Ed Walsh, my high school coach, uh, was a great man. Dr. Collins, my high school superintendent at Manhasset, was a great man. So I came up during the area of segregation, but the segregation made great people show up. And I, as a youngster, needed that. It takes a village. Yes, absolutely, to raise a child. And I'm glad to be able to say that because it, it humbles me 
and lets everybody out there know that it wasn't about me being the great Jim Brown running the football. It was that human being that was developed by people that really were great people. So I always have them as my standard. I know what's, what, what's good and what's bad because I was a recipient of some of the greatest people that ever lived. Wow. When did sports become a part of your life? How old were you? As old as I can remember. <laughs> Going all the way back. You were all the always... way back to rolling a tire with a stick. When were you introduced to football? Uh, basically when I went to uh, junior high school. Mm -hmm. That was my first real collection, uh, recollection of it. And, uh, but I was an all-around athlete. I liked a lot of sports. What was your favorite as a kid? Well, I'll tell you, football became my favorite. But uh, I used to love to track and field. I love lacrosse. How did you get uh, exposed to lacrosse? I played it in Manhasset because I left Georgia and went to Manhasset. That's when I was introduced to uh, lacrosse and uh, loved it and uh, played it as a major sport, you know. There are those that say you're the greatest lacrosse player ever. What do you say to that? I say thanks. <laughs> <laughs> are they right? I looked at your numbers yeah. from, your, from your time at Syracuse. Well, Teams could not stop you. It was much like you on a football field. Well, I was pretty big at the time. But uh, I was a dedicated athlete. And so I practiced all the time. I did things late at night. I did things by myself. Where did that drive come from, Jim? I was born with it. You had it. When I talk to uh, people about myself, I think that uh, my determination was what really made me a, a really good athlete. I and a human being, too. And I'm not saying I'm a good human being. I'm just saying that that, that drive because we were very poor, we were very poor, and Georgia, you know, Georgia wasn't the greatest place to be at the time because it was the South, and uh, you had to have something that's from the inside because if you tried to deal with the politics, it would run you crazy. How do you think growing up poor shaped who you would become as an athlete? Oh, it had a lot to do with it. It had a lot to do with it. How so? Because I learned how to work very hard, and I learned to utilize every determination that I could. And uh, I was appreciative of the fact that God gave me a, a body and a mind, and that I could overcome things if I did, if I worked real hard, and never to judge my workload by other people, but to establish something that fit my mentality. Hmm. And it gave me that whole thing of belonging and to be a, a determined person and not to cry the blues, but to go out and work so, but work very smart, to be smart and strong. I read that you won 13 varsity letters in high school and you start to do the math, four years, three seasons each year, that's 12 seasons. You had to be playing two sports at the same time but playing them at, as a freshman, a varsity level. How did you have time to do anything if you were playing all these sports? <laughs> that's, that's astounding. Well, I would, I would have track, track and field. Right. And uh, 
baseball, lacrosse, they all kind of came in the same season. Right. And uh, I would practice one of the sports at a particular time when I thought I needed to practice that more <laughs> to get results. I went into the National Decathlon, Crawfordsville, Indiana, as a little youngster by myself, you know. And uh, it was just a, so all I had to do was to go to school and uh, play sports. Who would Jim Brown be today had he never played a sport? Well, I'm sitting here with you right now, and uh, my life has not been sports. I've been an activist all my life, worked with the change of humanity. I have a little I might be able to contribute, but to help break down the taboos that we had in this country and to deal with freedom, equality, and justice for all human beings and to appreciate the goodness in, in any human being, regardless of their race or their gender. And so that's uh, who I am in my heart. Not a football player, an athlete, but a humanitarian, that everything I have has been shared with those who are in need. And it's not like a charity thing, it's, it's a lifestyle that I developed because I had so much love in my life and so many people that helped me. So I'm fortunate because if I just relied upon sports, well, I can't play anything now except golf. But <laughs> uh, I would have had a different kind of life. Sure. But the life that I developed was based upon human kindness and appreciation of others and to thank the people that helped me as a kid so that one day I could be sitting here, you know, talking about it. A way of giving back, in essence. Absolutely. What was your recruitment like as a high school student? I imagine every, every school in the country was beating their door down to get you on their team, whatever the sport. At that time, it uh, was quite different. Recruitment is almost wasn't even a word, you know, it was, you know, uh, sometimes you get treated because, you know, you're a great athlete, but then people are reluctant to reaching out and just look at, look at you as a great athlete and proceed from there. It's always the politics of uh, being in a country that was developing into a great country because a lot of those barriers were broken, you know, being broken down. Yeah. And uh, the good people were stepping up front and fighting for change, even if it meant that they had to make a, a, a great investment in that change. Were there other opportunities other than Syracuse, or was Syracuse your only option? No, I had uh, quite a few scholarship offers but Syracuse was uh, the one that I decided to, to, to take. Why Syracuse? The way they uh, talked to me. They talked to me as a young man and the fact that this was a, an emerging school with what uh, you could play football and lacrosse. Was that important to you? Yes. You wanted to play both? I wanted to play both. You also played basketball, played right? basketball, yeah. 
And did you do track and field as well at Syracuse? Yeah, I did track and field. What event? Sometimes. <laughs> when I was a decathlete. So you did it all? I did it all, depending on what the team needed at Syracuse at the time. You know, but uh, I was a 10-event decathlete. Is that, Jim, what separated you on the football field? The fact that you were as big as you were, as strong as you were, and fast as you were. I don't know that there have been maybe a handful of players that have ever played professional football that possess all three of those attributes. Is that, was that the key for you, the blend of all three? Well, I'll tell you what's very interesting. I used to think of uh, myself in, in this way. I would think I could play running back, I could play receiver, I could play uh, tackle, put on some weight. <laughs> Nobody could do that in today's game. Nobody. You know, <laughs> I had the perfect situation where if I, I could play everything by just adjusting my weight. <laughs> you could do whatever you needed to on a football field. Well, that's, that's the way I looked at it, yeah. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns, performance when it matters most. That's why Bridgestone Dueler Tires boast up to an 80,000-mile limited warranty, so they're in it for the long haul, because nothing says endurance like season after season of clutch performance. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com warranty for details. When you were wrapping up your time at Syracuse and getting ready to transition to the National Football League, today that process is so much different. It's celebrated. The draft is a very public event. What was your transition like from athlete at Syracuse to professional football player for the Cleveland Browns? Do you remember draft day? Well, what I remember is this. Uh, Paul Brown, he drafted me, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, you are my running back. You are my running back. And uh, that was the greatest word I've heard in, in sports because he wanted me on his team. That meant a lot to you? meant an awful lot to me because he wasn't in. He, he had no doubts that I could be a really good player. Did you have any doubts? Well, I didn't think of it that way. Uh, I was always competing, so I knew I could compete with anybody because of my decathlon attributes and uh, the basketball stuff that I used to do and all those sports I played. So I had the confidence based upon participation. You knew you could do it. Yeah. What was that first week with the Cleveland Browns like? What was your transition into pro football about? Well, I'll tell you, uh, my biggest situation when I came into uh, anything was people that believed in me versus people that didn't. And uh, I believed in myself because I knew about all the great athletes across the country. And I figured that I could compete with them. 
because of my size and speed and quickness and, and those those attributes that you need in whatever sport you play, you know. So I just needed the opportunity, mm. which I got. Was there a point, Jim, a play, a practice, a game, where you said to yourself, I'm going to be very good at this? No, no, I never looked at it that way. In my backyard, I had a pit dug, a high jump pit. And I used to practice high jumping. And what I hung my hat on is that I would practice a sport on my own. And therefore, it was me and my secret about how good I could be. And uh, the hard work and determination became a part of what I possessed. So I said, you can't outwork me and you can't outthink me. I put the combination of thinking and physically working out, those two things, the intelligence. That's what builds and a the champion. physicality, yeah, yeah. So I had that determination. I didn't need a coach to tell me to work out any of that kind of thing. I just had that in me. I knew that was, was where success was. And I love increasing my high jump and increasing, increasing my long jump. And I love scoring 32 points and 40-some points in basketball. So it was my own satisfaction by the, you know, the results that I got from my hard work. You mentioned all the different sports that you've played through the years. Was football even your best sport in your view? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, based upon going into a profession, into professional athletics, because the decathlon was sort of an Olympic situation. Uh, basketball, I wasn't as good as I could have been, should have been. Uh, baseball, I was a pitcher and uh, did not like baseball as much as I liked the other sports. So no, I, uh, it's hard to sum it all up, but I would say that I was just a guy that really loved athletics and practiced really hard and had a lot of confidence because of that practice. Mm. The results I got encouraged me. There were a generation of young boys in the United States of America that grew up pretending to be Jim Brown in his backyard. Who did Jim Brown pretend to be in his backyard? Well, I was made a little different I appreciated certain aspects of a lot of athletes. You know, uh, Aubrey Lewis, he was, I think, Notre Dame, was a, a great athlete. Uh, I looked at Joe DiMaggio in baseball and uh, he was kind of a hero of mine. I, mean, I liked his style, I liked his, his gait. Uh, he was a home run hitter. 
you know, Rafa Johnson. Mm -hmm. uh, Rafa was a great, great athlete, decathlon. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, when I say Arbor Lewis, probably very few people would know who that was. But that was your guy. But he could play, you know, he was a great track and field man. What did Jim, what, what did you make of the fact that there were so many young Americans watching you dreaming of one day becoming the next Jim Brown? Did you realize the magnitude of that responsibility at the time? Not really. The, the situation that I was in was, it wasn't like I was Jim Brown. Jim Brown came later. <laughs> right. You were just doing your thing at the time. I was just doing my thing. I was saying I'm Jim Brown. And uh, it was everything I could do to give myself a great chance at being a great athlete. And so I, I did a lot of work and I did a lot of thinking. And I realized how to get results from not what a coach told me to do, but what I knew that I should do myself. Right. So I went beyond the coaches. They didn't have time for just one guy. And uh, I got results. And uh, it was like, coming up in America at the time, it was the best thing I could do was to get some good grades in school and be a great athlete. When you were with the Browns, that was a great era, great decade to be a Browns player or a Browns fan. What were those years like for you, playing in Cleveland, winning championships? Oh, I loved, uh, I loved playing in Cleveland. I loved the people. I love the attitude towards me, and I give Paul Brown great credit for choosing me as a player that he wanted to coach. And so those days were fantastic because that's where I emerged. That's where I had a chance to become a man, a chance to become a really good athlete a chance to make a living, a chance to fight segregation. My life in Cleveland was probably the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me because of the nature of, say, a Paul, a Paul Brown. And, uh, you know, you had some great athletes here that made up the way you looked at the city. And the people were good to me here. I've read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, and I've always wanted to ask this of you, that when the Browns won their last championship in 1964, that was the, before the Super Bowl, and it was the year later that the Super Bowl era began, there was no parade in the city. Is that true? <laughs> Is that what they do, parades? Oh, it's a um, given. You have you shut down the city. If Cleveland wins another one, I think they'll shut down the city for a week. Well, you know how many years that is from when I played. Uh, I know that we had a uh, rally downtown. There was. I don't know if it was a parade, but I know we had some recognition by 
Virginia. I think I did ride in a float, but I'm not sure it was 64. Right. But it had to be 64, so we did have sort of a parade. Nothing like they do today. Well, nothing like they do today across the board. This is today, and it would be unfair for me to try to <laughs> compare the two. What do you think will happen in the city of Cleveland? I won't say if, I'll say when the Browns win a Super Bowl. It will happen. What, what will the city of Cleveland do? The city of Cleveland knows that it deserves a champion, and they stick with the fact, that fact, so they continue to back the Browns. And when that championship day comes, it will probably be the biggest celebration in the history of professional football. Because of what the fans have endured and what they have waited for and what they have supported, it's unbelievable. They deserve it. They deserve it. Uh, and uh, one day they're going to get it from your lips to God's ears. Absolutely. When you look back on your career, what's the most memorable game you had? Well, you know, it's very funny. I don't think of it as far as memorable games. I look at memorable moments. What's the most memorable moment of your career? I never thought of most, that's almost a writer rendition of something. It's like somebody's looking back and reflecting on themselves. There were moments that I had in running an end sweep that I share only with myself because it isn't commercial. So if I had a sweet, a sweep against a particular team and I made a really good move, it only resulted in four yards. But to me, it was a great move. But the writers didn't want to hear anything about a four-yard game. <laughs> but those are the moments that stand out to you? Yes. The moments where I did something that was fantastic, but it didn't show up in a statistic. Uh, the majority of people didn't see it. But it meant something to you. It meant everything to me. So you're more about the four yard run in a cloud of dust than the 75 yard touchdown run where you bowl over four people. If I can come through at all my key moments, we'd be undefeated. Those key moments, those key plays, one or two every game, means so much. When you get that one yard first down, to keep the drive going, that's a great one yard, man. We don't appreciate those enough? As no. fans and media, we don't enjoy those enough? No, we don't understand the game the way it should be played and what is really greatness. Because I'll give an example of something. If you're a football player, 
football is not a one-man thing. It's not track and field. You've got a defense, 11 men. You've got special teams. You've got an offense with 11 men. And there's got to be coordination. And, uh, man, it's things that happen that the general public don't realize. And we realize there are things out there, mistakes that we make that you don't even know about. <laughs> You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way it goes. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a tough thing to get 11 men to coordinate anything, you know. Right. Some guys, you know, he gets off the line too slow. Some guys throw a block too low. You know, it's... Uh, it's a great game, but it takes a lot of coordination because that's what makes it great. And a lot of detail. A lot of detail. Uh, and uh, But you can have such an appreciation like we have Wooten and Sheriff <laughs> and they, you know, and Woods can pull and Sheriff can, you know, be that tackle. Man, it's a beautiful thing to be able to appreciate them to tell them what a great game they played, and, and the writers don't even know that they did anything <laughs> because they're looking at the touchdowns by Warfield, or, you know, our great quarterbacks and so forth. But the details of the linemen in football, people don't really give that enough credit. It's a great lesson. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most, which is why Bridgestone tires are built for just that. Whether it's driving up to 50 miles to safety after a flat, confident control in wet conditions, or the dependability of an 80,000-mile limited warranty, Bridgestone's roster of tires has got you covered. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. What's the most fun you ever had on a football field? Well, I'll tell you, I, I remember when we won the world championship and uh, it wasn't on the field that I had the most fun. It was after the game and uh, the playing dealer, I think, took some pictures and uh, I was smiling, I had a great big smile, which I didn't do a lot of. And uh, it was just a wonderful feeling that I won the world championship. It was a year, I think, before the Super Bowl. So we didn't have a Super Bowl. I've never had a Super Bowl experience. But that world championship and that big smile, and I think they took a picture of me holding up a plane dealer you know, and uh, I sort of liked it. You didn't smile a lot. Why? Concentration on executing without making mistakes by diverting my attention in the wrong direction. You know, I mean... That sounds like Bill Belichick. That sounds well, like a lot of greats in well, sports. You're right, it is a Bill Belichick because that's one of the reasons that Bill liked, that I like Bill and Bill like me because we can relate on that level. You see, 
if, you, if I tell you I play for myself, I don't know if you would understand that. What I mean is I take the responsibility for myself in the mission that we have to accomplish. I can't take it. I can talk about the other guy and all that, but I can't tell you what they're going to do. But I can tell you that I'm going to show up and I'm going to deliver this because I've studied it and I know you need it. But I also know I need help and help needs me. So it's the responsibility that uh, you must understand when you're playing a team sport like football. Is there one player that you think most reminds you of you as a runner? Well, I don't, Past or present? I don't really think like that. <laughs> See, you, you, when you bring me outside of myself and start talking to me about guys relating to me, me relating to individuals, Yeah. I relate to a lot of individuals, but I never compare them to me. I, when I look at, say, the determination of Walter Payton, I don't think about me and Walter, whatever, whatever. I look at Walter and say, man, that guy's like, he's not big, but he's quick and he's determined like nobody I've ever seen. He's a soldier. And I might mention to that to some other player that would understand what I'm saying, because Walter at the time might not be in the news, and everybody's over here dealing with some other guy, and here I am over here with Walter <laughs> talking about this guy, and then maybe one or two or three of us are looking at Walter and knowing that this is the guy, not that guy. Right. But this is the guy getting all the press and all the news and all of that. They have all expectation, but we see this determination that little sucker oh man <laughs> he can roll so you've probably seen different attributes that you have in a lot of different guys this yeah. guy maybe is big like i was this yeah. one fast this one determined absolutely no, nobody that you've ever looked at that you think has every attribute that you had well no you're right that's that was my ego saying that uh I can run in a decathlon without having a coach. And I can finish fifth in the nation, which fifth might not sound like anything to you. But to me, fifth was a great accomplishment because I had no tr formal training and I worked out on 10 events myself. And some of them I hadn't even practiced. You know, I hadn't even tried those sports before. So that sounds like ego, but it's not ego, it's responsibility. You take the responsibility of producing because you go to the sidelines and you practice. It doesn't matter how long you practice because you're doing it for a purpose and you're not like nine to five job, a nine to five job and then you're just doing certain things up until a certain point, then you go home and sleep. Right. I, I uh, use my head, use my physical talents together. And uh, that brought about a lot of success. What went into the decision, Jim, to retire after nine seasons? 
You know, that question is a funny question because other people should be able to uh, give an answer that without me talking. But I'll take the responsibility of telling you this. The reason that you could ask me that question is because most people don't do it. And some people make a mistake by not doing it. Mm. They always say if you stay too long to a guest, you start to smell. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, don't always, don't, over, don't overstay your, your stay, you take your presence out. So it's important for you to go out as a still great running back? Absolutely. No question. You, 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 you get out on time, you don't use yourself up, you don't come a charity case, you don't make excuses. If you finish at the top of your game, that'll live forever. That's how people remember you. can never change. That'll be forever. But if you're a great player and you stay around too long and then people start making excuses for you, the conversation is about you and, you know, no, it's, you don't want it to be that way. You want to be on top. You transitioned from football to actor very seamlessly and had a lot of success as an actor, which is not easy to do. <laughs> Did that keep regret from creeping in because you were successful in your second career? Did that keep you from having thoughts, maybe I had another season? Did you ever think that? No. Really? I was so glad I was smart enough to quit on time. <laughs> <laughs> Be dumb as hell to stay around too long. What could you gain? Where did that wisdom come from? Was that something you just instinctively knew, get out now? Well, we all have a certain amount of intelligence. So I imagine whatever intelligence I had told me that you would be asking me this question 35 or 40 years <laughs> later. <laughs> so I was reading your mind before you were reading it. Talk about the transition to Hollywood. What was that like, going from Jim Brown, all-time great football player, to Jim Brown, Hollywood actor? <laughs> the thing is, cutting off my ties in football, I knew I didn't want to get behind a desk. Mm -hmm. So before I uh, retired, I did a film, I think Rio Conchos, Western. And because it was a decent film and I did a decent job, I felt this is a high-profile profession. I'm leaving a high-profile profession. And uh, this transition will be good. It, it won't hurt at all. And uh, that's the way I looked at it. And I, had, I think one of my first, my first job was with Raquel Welch. Pretty good way to start. <laughs> so it was like giving up one thing, but you had something else that was just as high profile. And uh, I sort of looked at it that way, on kind of a commercial way. But also, I wanted to break down some taboos. So Raquel Welch and I were the first interracial couple that starred in a film together. You know, but I wanted that to be a part of my resume.
that was important to you. Yeah. And that movie did break down a lot of barriers and yeah. stereotypes. Yeah. Are you more proud of your time as a football player or an actor? If you're considered one of the best football players and you're not considered one of the best actors, <laughs> that's an easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> but you had success as an actor. But you thing. were good. Well, I'll tell you what's happening right now. You're showing how smart you are because I had a really good career in acting. But I don't talk to that because people want to think I was just a big guy out there. But no, I did have a really beautiful career in acting, you know, in movies, and uh, had a great appreciation for some of the movies I made. But I was always fighting those who wanted it just to be a football player on the screen, whatever, however, however. Right. But Tick, Tick, Tick was a, a film, uh, you know, uh, a lot of films that I made that had a social implication. It seems all of them did, in some way. To some way, yeah, to some way. So Was that by design? Yes, absolutely. You know, it was by design because that was my what, what my life would end up being to deal with those taboos, to break down the barriers, to participate as a full citizen. American citizen, to be able to appreciate this democracy, to be able to break down doors. Which profession, Jim, did you enjoy more? Did you have more fun on the football field or on a movie set? I had more fun on a movie set. Really? But it wasn't because I thought it was more important or anything like that. I didn't, you know, in a movie set, I could laugh and we could joke in between plays and do a bunch of things. But in football, when we got ready for a game, there wasn't any laughter. You know, uh, it was serious. And what the reason it was so serious is because you had 11 guys out there, and if you ran a play and one guy misses assignment, that play can blow up. So you don't have time to be messing around. You got to stay serious. You got to concentrate 100%. And in order to be successful, every one of you have to, to carry out your assignment. But in movies, you can ad-lib. You know, you might be able to crack a joke and they leave it in. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a different approach. And you're acting, so you have an opportunity to truly express yourself creatively and uh, you couldn't do that in football. You couldn't get too creative. So it's, you know, it's, they say, what, six and a half a dozen. <laughs> Who's the greatest player you ever played against? Yeah, I would think uh, Johnny Unanis. Uh, would be the guy based upon his toughness being a great quarterback. I don't deal with the statistics. I just deal with how I felt when I was playing against what him. What you see, yeah. And uh, he was dangerous. Hmm. You know, he could play in that attitude. Tough was, as nails. Was there a defender that hit you 
that you remember as the hardest hit you ever took? Well, I'll tell you, every defender I remember, I don't know if it was the hardest hit I took, but I knew he was going to be a great player. I think I played against Butker when he was a, was a freshman, I think, when, when uh, he came into the league, I think. And we had an all-star game. And uh, Butkus hit me once, and I went back to the huddle. <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't know who that guy is, <laughs> but he sure hits hard. He hits like a truck. Yeah, he hits hard, Dick Butkus. So I always laugh because I think he was just a rookie. And he was the guy. Yeah. When you watch highlights of yourself, what do you think? What do you say when you watch those clips? I stretch, man, and just say, why didn't I pull just a little harder? Really? I think of uh, the things I could have done. Instead of enjoying what you're looking at, yeah. you think that run could have been five yards more. Yeah, sometimes. I look at the intelligence of it and the determination and the options I had. And uh, I'm looking at the ones that I didn't do what I should have done. Final question. When you ask Cleveland Browns fans about the great Cleveland Browns of all time, there's almost no argument. Your name is always the first one that comes up. You've meant so much to this city and this fan base what has this city and this fan base meant to Jim Brown? Oh man, it's almost like life itself. What would I do without Cleveland? I haven't had that experience. The experience I had here was one of success. And uh, without those people in the stands, what would I be, you know? What would you say to the fans of Cleveland? Thank you. Genuinely so. It's a great city. And uh, it offered me an opportunity to live life. How is life for Jim Brown today? Let me just share this with you. Please. My life at this time is as good as it probably can be because I've come through all the hardships and I have my family intact and my kids are functioning and my wife is fantastic and we make our contribution to ourselves, our family and to the community. And uh, I have an opportunity to sit here with you and, and, and discuss these things. Well, that's a privilege. It's unbelievable. You've lived a, a charmed life. You really have. Yes, it's been, it's, been un, it's been an unbelievable journey. And I look at it and I say, I'm humble enough to look at what I need to do to be a better person. So I know that my mission should be 
to work on being a better human being. And that's what I'm doing. And the second part to that is I'm looking at the people that I can help and how I can help. So I'm so fortunate to be at that particular point. I'm not looking at the people that were nasty, the people that were this, people that were that. I'm looking at the things that I can do to affect myself and then to be able to help others. The wisdom of Jim Brown. Mr. Brown, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. One of the all-time great football players and certainly all-time great Cleveland Brown. Thank you for joining us for another installment of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. That wraps up our first season. We will be back next year with another season of sit-down interviews with all-time great Cleveland Browns. Until then, for Jim Brown, I'm Jay Crawford. We'll see you soon.